Good morning. I'm Sierra Keller from Town in North Dakota, and today I'll be talking about a very interesting topic, the San Haven Sanatorium. San Haven is something that has really interested me. One of the biggest reasons that I am researching it is because it is known to be very haunted. In fact, San Haven is known to be one of the most haunted places in North Dakota. A fun fact is that my great-grandma used to work there as a nurse. Knowing that she worked there makes me want to research more about the true history of San Haven. There are some very good, incredible sources on San Haven, but some of the best ones I found and used are substreet.org, history.nd.gov, ghostsofnorthdakota.com, onlyinyourstate.com, and ranker.com. You may have heard of the San Haven Sanatorium before, maybe not, but let me tell you that it is that this place is a very interesting topic. San Haven is located in Dunseith, North Dakota. According to history.nd.gov, the location of the south side of the Turtle Mountains, known as Dunseith, was picked because of the higher altitude, less snowfall, drier atmosphere, and more favorable conditions for the tuberculosis patients. It was first used to treat patients with tuberculosis, but after a vaccine came out for it in the 60s, San Haven turned into an asylum for the special patients, where they then got treated. According to Ranker.com, in the 1900s, not everyone chose to be in a mental hospital. All the way up to the 1960s, the patients were mostly admitted involuntarily. Back then, there were laws that allowed your family members to admit their relative with hardly any evidence of a mental illness. For example, in the 1860s, because of a law in Illinois, Elizabeth Packard got admitted to an asylum for three whole years because she had different religious beliefs than her husband. Your parents could also admit you. For example, in 1883, a kid named Henry Frazier got admitted to an asylum in New Orleans because his mom said that he was uncontrollable by masturbating himself to complete exhaustion. Ringer.com states that families could even purchase confinement for relatives they didn't want to deal with. Mental hospitals treated the patients very poorly. Ranker.com says that the patients would get treated like prisoners. To avoid getting sent to an asylum, some patients would hide their mental illnesses. In 1887, Nellie Bly, a journalist, went undercover to record the conditions inside the mental hospitals. She came back and reported that horrifying, horrifying treatment from the doctors. Some of this treatment was pulling of hair, solitary confinement, branding, spending, and some doctors would purposely infect patients with malaria. The patients would get spun on a wheel with a harness at a very high speed. The doctors would also take very hot irons and brand the patients. The doctors said that they would do this to bring him to his senses. To his senses. Rinker.com says that just because new and improved technology came out did not mean better treatment for the patients. In the 1930s, the doctors would experiment with new technologies such as using electric, th- electric shock therapy. Some of the patients were saying that the only way to ever get out of there was to fake it. A quote from one of the patients was, You do just what the doctor says if you want to get out of here. The same patient later passed away from suicide. Nellie says that the patients were treated like prisoners. A quote from when she was undercover was I could not sleep so I lay in bed picturing to myself the horrors in case a fire should break down in the asylum. 
Every door is locked separately and the windows are heavily barred so that escape is impossible. In the one building alone, there are, I think Dr. Ingham told me, some 300 women. They are locked 1 to 10 in a room. It is impossible to get out unless these doors are unlocked. Another bad thing about mental hospitals back then was the diets. Rinker.com states that St. Elizabeth's at Dr. St. Elizabeth's, a doctor named Henry Hummer, used eggs as a very important part of the sick patients' diets. It was recorded that 125 patients ate 17 dozens of eggs each day. Patients that had epilepsy would, however, get a different diet. Dr. Hummer said that they are not allowed to have anything that we think will upset them in the nature of corned beef or cabbage and heavy indigestible food. Since Nellie went undercover, she knew what the meals were like. She said the meals would consist of tea, a single slice of bread, rancid butter, and five prunes. Nellie said that the eating there was one of the worst things about going undercover for 10 days. But not every asylum was like this. Patients from another asylum say that the dining room felt more like a restaurant or hotel dining room. They said that the patients would actually get to sit together while eating. So not every asylum had horrible meals. To save money for the facility and to improve some patients' mental health, the facility would grow their own food. Some patients would work in these fields, which would get them something to do and it would help improve some of their mental health. St. Haven shut down in 1987 due to an overflow of patients. Believe it or not, it is still standing today. The building is very run down and damaged, but still stands. St. Haven is owned by the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa, so if you do go on the property or inside of St. Haven, it is considered trespassing. The atmosphere of St. Haven is very different from what it used to be. On ghostsofnorthdakota.com, someone tells their experience of visiting St. Haven. They say that while being there, you get a very spooky feeling that makes you feel on edge. The person says that the trees and weeds have completely grown wild. There used to be beautiful water features that have now run completely dry. There were walking paths that were very wide, but now they are not that were very wide and smooth, but now they are not in good condition. There were there was a children's pavilion and two floors above it, birds chattering sounds like voices of children at times. At times. Back in the day, after the sanatoriums were around for a while, they started to serve a different purpose. The sanatoriums went from hospitals to homes for mentally ill people, so they slowly started becoming mental hospitals. According to substreet.org, at first, construction got delayed because there wasn't enough funding. $10,000 was set aside by the state, but the total cost of construction was $50,000. After all the construction, San Haven opened in the fall of 1912 when it first started its operation. The daily cost to get treated there was only $1.50. Then, three years later, the daily cost to get treated was $7. The Grafton Psychiatric Hospital in Massachusetts started sending their mentally ill patients to San Haven in the 1950s, which created more growth of the sanatorium. The patients would get treated for tuberculosis in their homes with very advanced medicine, which left beds in the sanatorium empty. 1,300 mentally ill patients were getting treated by the 
1960s in Sanhaven in Grafton. History.nd.gov states that then, in 1957, a building got remodeled for the mentally disabled and for the elderly. Switching to ghostofnorthdakota.com, they state that there are underground tunnels surrounding the whole area. North Dakota has very harsh winters, so the tunnels were for staff and patients traveling from different buildings so that they didn't have to go out in the cold winter. The tunnels would also be used to transport patients with wheelchairs. An interesting fact is that my great-grandma used to work at San Haven as a nurse, which is really interesting to me. My grandma told me that another relative worked there as a groundskeeper. If those relatives were still alive today, I would love to ask them questions about San Haven. On ghostsofnorthdakota.com, a woman named Mary shares her personal experience of going to San Haven. In 1963, she spent five months at San Haven. Mary says that the patients never really walked in the halls unless they were to tell the nurses, so she did not talk to many people while being there. There were different ends of the building. She says that the women were not allowed in the men's hallway. Anytime that they had to go to the bathroom, they had to tell the nurses. In the bathrooms, there were no showers, only bathtubs, and there were two stools and two sinks. Mary says that while being at San Haven, she learned to do many things, such as taking her own pulse and temperature. They would have to take their times and pulses every single day, if not twice, to test for a live bug. Once a month, they would put a tube down your throat. She says that these tests would always come back negative and she never had tuberculosis. As you know now, San Haven was originally to treat patients with tuberculosis, but then slowly started becoming a mental hospital while still treating patients with tuberculosis. Mary says that the third floor of the building was mostly for the mentally disabled patients and for crafts. She says that one day she went up to the third floor, peeked in a window of a room, and saw elderly people in diapers and cribs screaming and crying. She said the doors were always locked, so there was no way of getting in there. They had some pretty strict rules that you had to follow while getting treated there. The patients were never allowed on the fourth floor unless they had to wash their hair, but a nurse had to be with them at all times. She says that they were allowed to get fresh air and sunshine every now and then by going to the top of the roof. The elevator was right next to the roof, so there was a room on the roof that went to the elevator. She says that after a while, she started to get smart by never leaving the building so that she was so close to the elevator. The only time the patients ever got fresh air and sunshine was when they would go onto the roof. There were bars on the patient's windows, so when her family and friends would come visit her, she was only allowed to talk to them by opening her window. Children were also not allowed in the building. To switch gears a little bit, my grandma and I will be doing a little Q&A. She will be asking some questions about the research project after that, I will be asking Elise some questions about her research project that she did. Well, I think San Haven would be a very fun and interesting topic to research. There were so many things that I did not know anything about the sanatorium until now. Before I started researching about San Haven, I hardly knew what it was for or even what it was. All I knew was that it was some kind of hospital, but nothing else. 
And now with researching it, this has been lots of fun and I learned a lot of new things. Well, I bet it was lots of fun, but I have some questions to ask you. What is the biggest thing that stuck out to you while finding out the true history of the San Haven Sanatorium? The biggest thing that stuck out to me while researching about San Haven is that it was originally for tuberculosis, but then after, but then later became a mental hospital, which is pretty interesting considering that tuberculosis and mental treatment are two very different things, which just makes it even more interesting and fun to research San Haven. I also find that very interesting that it went from being a hospital for tuberculosis to a mental hospital. What was your favorite part of researching about San Haven? My favorite thing about researching San Haven is actually what the true history of it is. Before I did my research, I thought that it was just for tuberculosis, but after doing lots of research, I found out that it was originally for tuberculosis tuberculosis patients, but then slowly became a mental hospital, but still treated people with tuberculosis. And hearing about Mary's story really intrigued me more. If I ever saw elderly people in diapers and cribs crying and screaming, I would feel traumatized. It was also very interesting to read about Mary's personal story of getting treated at San Haven. Hearing about Mary's story made me wonder what else went on in that hospital. What is one question that you still have about San Haven? One question that I still have about San Haven is what was the actual reason that it closed? I read lots of different articles and websites about San Haven, but there were lots of different answers. Some of them said that there got to be an overflow of patients and that the 400 staff members just couldn't keep up. Some also say that the patients were getting mistreated. Elise, what was your research question for this project? My research question was, what is the actual history of San Haven versus what people think? That is a very good research question. I'm sure that was a lot of fun to research. Yep. <laughs> what was your favorite thing that you learned while researching about San Haven? The hauntings were my favorite part. And what is one question that you have about San Haven? Is San Haven actually haunted? That is a good question.